And I actually did the interview process for the consultancies and I had a contract to go into one of them. And I actually tore the contract up. I physically tore the contract up and I said, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to go and out and build a company. I'm going to stick to the plan. Uh, wow. <laughs> and that was nuts um, because, you know, it's like I didn't really have any cash at all, right? It's completely broke. Hey guys, welcome to Startup Hand-Me-Downs, the podcast that passes insights from founders and thought leaders down to the next generation. I'm your host, Philip Kusumu, and thank you so much for giving me your time. I promise it'll be worth it. So today I had the pleasure of interviewing Jude Gomilla, who's a serial entrepreneur and angel investor. Back in 2009, when I literally knew nothing about this whole startup world, Jude was out here in these streets hustling. He then went on to move to San Francisco, where he joined a friend of his from London on a few ideas. One of the ideas they ended up coming up with was HeyZap. They ended up selling HeyZap for 45 million after eight years of tinkering and trying to figure out the best way to grow. Literally to the day after selling that startup, Jude went on to start another startup, which he's now running called Golden, which he has raised nearly $5 million for in their seed round, with the likes of Andreessen Horwitz and other high profile investors involved. This was a killer episode as we talk about Jude's background and the treacherous road he went on in order to create extreme value for himself. We also talk about how he managed to invest in 180, yes, 180 different startups. Honestly, guys, there's a lot to learn from Jude here. And we just sit down and have a great conversation about startups and his journey. So sit back, relax and be ready to learn. So, Jude, when you are out and about, how do you introduce yourself to people? That's a good question. Um, so, I, I usually um, will think about who the person is in front of me and how, what is the most effective way to communicate to this person. So, maybe we're in a taxi and I might talk about my work with Golden. Um, to see their response and see what they think about what we're building. Um, if we're in a business meeting, it might be, you know, it's a very particular context and we may go much more into the detail of background, you know, having previously done Y Combinator or something that would be higher resolution information for them. Um, if it's someone in a lift, I may actually be a little bit British about it and not talk about <laughs> doing investments and being an entrepreneur and not actually talking about that stuff. And it's actually being more low profile yeah so for me yeah. me it depends on you know what you're what you're trying to get out of it and who you're talking to and whether you're being casual and you know you don't need to say necessarily like everything you've done possibly and um there's a very interesting difference into in, in say the uk way of doing this and how we do how we might do it in the usa as well yeah um and and yeah it's just different different situations um I might I might introduce myself as working on a product or I might just say 
I like tinkering with things and and reading about things, and that's that's me. Yeah, it ga- you just gauge the audience basically. You see where you're at, and uh, you get you you t- you tailor it to the person or the environment rather. Yeah, I think I think that's that's the way to do it, um, and not necessarily go into the deep end immediately and finding out you know where where you're going to have a connection with someone. It might not be around your work. It might be around. Um, you know other kinds of things games and not necessarily putting that forward all the time but i mean for the for the audience if they're if they're listening um i assume they're entrepreneurs budding entrepreneurs working in startups interested in companies yeah. maybe vcs and that that audience you know positions a certain kind of context that that would frame frame our introduction of who, who we are yeah no that's uh good long long-winded intro but well <laughs> i think we i think we gauged who who, who we're dealing with here Okay, so um, before we get into like technology and startups and investing and all that fun stuff, let's start from the beginning. So you're based in San Francisco, but obviously you're not from San Francisco. You're from Northwest London. So yes. where Harrow? Harrow, I believe you said Harrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So where did the interest for like technology and what have you like come about? How did how did you get interested in this world? Yeah, that's a good question, and, and and I've done a couple of podcasts recently, and no no one digs into like a lot of the genesis of why people get to where they are, mm. and why why are they interested in technology in the first place. I think it's a really interesting question. So, um, I have to I have to say that my dad was definitely um, a big part of that in terms of getting me excited about physics and computation and mathematics and biology, wow. and you know he was you know, reading through tons of different books, um, you know, spending like six hours of the day per day, um, reading, reading these books. And we had all these interesting books on the shelf, like Richard, every most, most of the Richard Feynman writings and Richard Dawkins and blind watchmaker and Roger Penrose and go to Asher Bark and philosophy books on philosophy and literature. And on my mum's side, she's much more on the, the art, the art side. Well, actually they're both, both far and away, but on my mum's side, you know, um, all the rest of the books were um, around like English literature and history and um, you know uh, Greek, Latin, uh, various different other other languages and 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 kind of plants and nature in a different perspective. Mm. You know, like rather than biological, you know, like theories, it was more like, hey, here are all the different kinds of trees and plants and stuff. So my house was actually packed full of full of books to the limit of like you could call it like entry level hoarding. <laughs> and wow. uh on the book's perspective and that that richness was like quite interesting to be that you know it was kind of all around reading uh was a standard standard thing in the house yeah uh, and also electronics you know so electronics um hardware in my house from tape reels um i'm 35 but i think for most 35 year olds they weren't messing around with like magnetic strips and stuff <laughs> you know or, or even punch cards right like so for me i was playing around with a lot of this crappy broken hardware um, or more interesting stuff, um, and that that stuff was all around the house. So I was just like playing around with it and doing, taking things to pieces. So I, I would take apart like a lot of different objects when I was a kid. Like fr- I would take a fridge apart and see like, okay, what's what's inside a fridge, and then reconfigure it into something smaller. And you know, I remember putting a computer, like taking the motherboard apart and putting putting it inside a, a basin full of glycerine. And putting the fridge underneath it and then freezing it like actually freezing it down below zero um to get the to overclock the machine and there was like liquid everywhere i'd ruined the carpet in my bedroom <laughs> i'd sold iron stains like all over the floor i want to know how you got the like, fridge or the freezer into your room or how big this fridge and why did you have a spare fridge or freezer 
Yeah, I, I think my my I think um, someone in my family bought the fridge, didn't need it anymore, and it was going to be thrown out. I said, no, 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 don't throw it out. I want I want to I want to look at this fridge. It was a small, like relatively small. It wasn't like a compact fridge, a proper fridge. Um, so I don't, I think it fits through the door. So you know, we pulled it. I pulled it in there and started ripping it to pieces and taking off all the non-essential components that I wasn't interested in, and then started thinking, okay, what could I do with this? Okay, so could I could I overclock my computer? And this is like you know pre kind of war- people weren't doing water cooling. Water cooling, it was like early, like a bit before that. And you know, I'd like to mess around with it. I was like, okay, well, let's get negative temperatures on the on the, on the uh, BIOS like coming up, and that that happened, and it was really cool, lagging all the pipes, and so I was kind of making things in my bedroom hacking things to pieces Mm. um you know like messing around with uh electronics and building little circuits and i tried to build this little um laser communication um device between my room and my shed so that was an interesting thing like to try and get this kind of communication working so rather than lay a cable underneath the ground i I just wanted to get like little wireless communication there Mm. um mess around with you know all sorts of stuff like hacking on projects and that that was projects and messing around with things was like my passion and and thinking you know and also trying to think a bit about like nature a little bit um as well so you know the engineering side was was definitely all around me and um and that 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 got me kind of interested in technology and i got really really pretty obsessed as well with learning the edges of technology um you know and trying to understand the extremes in in different fields and trying to do combinations of things of, and, and, and tests whether, whether, hey, someone looked this up already. A lot of the time, people have already come up with stuff, right? So someone had come up with something, and it was out there. It was just kind of interesting to discover, oh, it's out there. Oh, it's not out there. And if you're really lucky and it's not out there, um, maybe there would be some kind of opportunity, and um, which kind of fits into the kind of investing investing theme that came out uh, uh, you know, more recently for me. Yeah. So... And neither of your parents were, were, I know you said your dad was an engineer, but neither of your parents were entrepreneurs per se. No, they're terrible with business and money, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> they, they were terrible. And actually, in, in some respects, that that was like painful to me to see like uh, such inefficiency. So um, that to me was like, okay, well, um, I need to learn how to make money and, and cash to get these, to get like, to build my first computer. You know, like I had to skip lunch actually every single day for an entire year to, to afford to buy my own machine oh wow and oh, wow. that was that was uh i was pretty hungry but in the real physical way to get my to get this machine right to to, to be able to mess mess around with it and i i think um and you know i had to sneak the uh, um interconnect internet connection in because we didn't have an internet connection um they didn't want me to have one um <laughs> wow. they thought it was bad for for, for for education so i actually had to like pretend to be sick one day uh, in high school to to actually uh, meet the engineer because the phone line was so old, <laughs> really really old phone line. It couldn't actually get a connection on it. The guy couldn't get a connection on the phone line because it was super old. We're talking about one of these phones that you rotate with the dialer, right? Oh my goodness! Um, so I had to try and install covertly install the internet into my house, and I actually pulled up the carpet and put the cable all the way from from the front of the house underneath the carpet and routed it all the way to a secret port in my room and covered and then put all the carpet back so you could not tell that the internet connection was into my room so that was great so i had the internet i had the web um and i had to get it get it installed completely um (laughs) and uh not pay for it as well actually because i didn't have the budget for it oh my god so i had to hack that 
um, with, with a whole range of phone freaking techniques, which are probably really illegal nowadays. Okay, so you're hacking around at home. Obviously, this proves to be quite interesting, super interesting. You end up studying engineering at Cambridge, correct? Uh, you and your eventually uh, co-founder, Imad. Um, and then what did you do after Cambridge? Yeah, and there's some interesting stuff before that as well. Of like getting there was not easy, an easy path as well. Because I think, I think the entrepreneurial spirit kind of can start pretty early. Um, after Cambridge, we there's lots of interesting trials. So I actually tried running a company. Um, so I, I've been pretty into wanting to start my own company since I was around 18. Mm-hmm. And I that was the first year um, I registered a company and I actually didn't know what I wanted to build. And this is quite strange, right? To register a company with Companies House, I was not sure whether I was going to be breaking accounting rules or breaking the law because I didn't know how to register a company. I didn't really, I read through all this documentation, I weren't really practical guides. I just wanted to have a company. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I set, I set up a company with Companies House and I just set it up and I realized that you can't just set up a company without like a product or an idea or a vision, right? Um, but I did it and there wasn't actually any need to do that. Um, and actually it's better not to do that at all. If you're working you know, by yourself or something and there's no point wasting any money or wasting any time, you might as well build something first. It's different if you're with co-founders, you need to set up the best thing and stuff. So, um, in the, I started applying for the Cambridge university entrepreneurs club. There were various competitions. Um, the first, the first, um, I remember the second year I went for the competition with an idea. The idea was to, put an mp3 player um, this is in 2003 the the idea was to put the mp3 player with a small amount of memory into into the earpiece so it would only be the earpieces and so there'd be a small battery in there and a couple of tracks and you could listen to it only in your earpiece without any cabling or anything so, so airpods <laughs> airpods but it didn't connect to anything right so there was no wireless connection it was just like, hey, I want to load up. So you plug in the AirPod. Well, it wasn't. It was kind of like an AirPod, yeah, but without connectivity to something. So you just you just plug it into your machine, like via like a, a, um, a port or something. And we would load up, you know, with some software. You would load up like ten tracks, and you go running with it. Because I, I hated all the cabling. I hated mm. carrying. I didn't want to carry an MP3 player. My friend had built an MP3 player on breadboards from scratch, which was super impressive in two thousand and. I think it was 2001 so he built a, a breadboard based mp3 player what's breadboard and breadboard is this electronics um it's like a matrix it's like an array of little holes and they're, they're vertically connected and horizontally connected so you can plug in a different chips and components and resistors and capacitors and you can start building circuits out of it mm. and this was the way that a lot of people would prototype electronics um so you know as part of this little group of people that would like prototype interesting little electronic um circuits and stuff like that i was pretty, really into electronics at a certain point um and th- that yeah that went on to you know thinking about this this little mp3 player um because we thought we could we could get it get it you know 10 tracks in into a little chip and store it there and uh the, i applied with that and you know i never heard anything back from them and that's a real shame because i thought it was a pretty decent idea and i just saw it come out and other things come out, I was like, I still want this product. I still don't want to carry my iPhone necessarily or something else. I just want to go for a run and have the tracks in 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 some AirPods and mm. um, have this dedicated running running gear. Um, so nothing came back from them. 
and I was like, oh, it must be. Well, no, no, I didn't actually think it must be a bad idea. I thought like, well, there's something wrong with their algorithm here for selecting. And then um, in the third year, um, I went again. So I, we had a project. Um, so I did a, I, out of engineering, I, I specialized in manufacturing engineering tripods, which is actually very close to being entrepreneurial and learning about how to build companies yeah. and context of product design and, and finance and all the components that you need to have really to build a company, and especially in an industrial setting. So so I went for, we, we had a project and we had a, um, I tried to form a company around this. This was out of a, a student project, and we we built a um, a kind of printed needle dialysis machine, which was like really good for old people. It was very ergonomic. It solved a bunch of the infection issues. I got really serious into this as well. One of the people on the team, and this was a student project that I was trying to turn into a company, and they were encouraging us to make it into a company. The other three people, unfortunately, on the team, um, it's, despite them being very talented, did not want to form it into a company. So I applied for the Cambridge University 50K business plan competition. We got into the finalists, and we were the only non-PhD students to get in. Um, and it was just like dragging, it's kind of like dragging a team forward that where the team didn't really want to do it. So I was I was kind of turning the wrong situation. The product was actually really good, and it really should still exist today. Mm. I started getting mentorship by... I think it was the ex CEO of Baxter Healthcare became my my mentor for for that. So we tried some stuff, and then then Cambridge uh, entrepreneurs turned around and said, "Hey, by the way, we don't have the 50k prize money. We never managed to raise a sponsorship. <laughs> and, you know, worked so hard for the whole year to try and like really win this competition. I based everything around my third year around trying to win this competition. I got obsessed with the deal. And in the Val Ravikant's words, don't get don't fall in love with the deal. I fell in love with that deal, and I really wanted to win the 50k. Um, money to go and build this company it was really important i visited um patients in Addenbrooke's health um down there and wow. like we were interviewing tons of people and we wanted to patent it and we got a prototype made in japan that what? was by a really good yeah we went far we got a prototype made in japan and it was so difficult to make that um because we didn't know anything about design for manufacture at that stage like real design for manufacture that um they had to build tools to build the tool to build the actual yeah. prototype and, and this was a, a really most of one of the most advanced machine tool companies in the world. And who was funding <laughs> they, that? Who funded that? We did it all for free. We bootstrapped the whole thing. Um, we just how did they? How did you? How did you have money to to pay? Oh, okay. We had a tiny bit of budget from the university because it was a student project. When yeah. I say tiny budget, I mean hundred hundred pounds. Oh my gosh! And the rest we just winged it. We were like, "Hey, can you make this for us? We're students from blah blah blah." People would do make things for us. The rest was done, you know, for free. Like, you know get on your bike and cycle down to Addenbrooke's, go interview people. You don't need to spend anything. True. Uh, so we, 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 we got, we did all this stuff and you know, the, 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 for the student project, it did really well, you know, for, for um, the, the, the coursework because it was an involved lengthy project, but I was much more interested in making it a reality. Like why just do the project when like, if we could actually help all these patients, like let's do it for real. So that was disappointing to me that, you know, I, I was very inexperienced and still am. Um, and you know, I didn't know, I didn't know how to navigate, you know, I'd even tried to talk to angels and, you know, this is 2000 and 2005. So, you know, and, you know, it was very difficult because, you know, unless you were a PhD in that field, mm. they, they didn't some, it was effectively an industrial design group of people that were putting this together. They didn't quite want that to back that kind of thing, especially when it wasn't really a full property team that wanted to go and take it to commercialize, right? The other three just wanted to 
complete the coursework and math right? <laughs> yeah so, that's crazy cambridge didn't have 50k they have like a two billion dollar endowment fund they had 50k man yeah so people were on stage we were there on stage pitching it um and they told me that you know night before there's no money but you're going to go on stage and pitch for the 50k anyway so it was actually a complete theater of of just pitching for for money that wasn't there oh. and that was just fucking ridiculous sorry 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 um that was ridiculous because you know people it was just stupid anyway so that was the scene of entrepreneurialism and it was very very broken mm. and it probably still is very very broken and it probably is very very broken in every single university i bet you there's tons of interesting stuff that can get commercialized much quicker the u.s probably d- does a little bit better um and that that was like a a baptism of fire of like hey actually if you go and try and do something it's really really hard and ev- almost everything is against you in terms of resources or people not wanting to care too much. And like you have to architect the whole thing and, you know, drum it up. And, and the game is very different from how it, you know, 2019 from how it was back then. Um, I, I, I would say it's much harder. So, so getting out of that, I then, I then um, formed, this is like the long form conversation. I then formed a, um, a consultancy actually in fourth year with two other smart, smart people in my team. And uh, one of them's gone on to be super successful, actually. Um, it's, yeah, so both of them are really smart. We we formed, we tried a lot of different things, and we ended up build, building a electronics brand. Hmm. And um, this electronics brand, it, uh, we we went out to China and we sourced like digital photo frames. So we we were experimenting with digital photo frames, and we we sold them into Harrods and Selfridges and online. So we learned this was a much better attempt, to be honest. Um, and you know, we had real revenue and we had it in stores and then how, then you, how did you, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, okay. How did you come up? Once, None of the stuff is written up anywhere, really. How did you, first of all, come up with the idea? So you have this consultancy, you spin off this idea. How were yeah. you funding? Like, cause obviously when you're doing a hardware product, like a physical product, you have manufacturers, you have to get it made in like China or, or Japan or wherever you got it made, you have to ship it over. Like, who was paying for that? How were you navigating this whole we remortgage. system? This is crazy. We took personal um, debt risk and remortgaged one of the co-founders' parents' house. What? And it was this crazy risk. Because angel, angel stuff was just not around us at that point. Like, it was, you know, this, this was just something that was quite risk. Very Looking back, is absolutely nuts. Like, I would have never done, never done that. Um, and, you know, that gave us a bit of capital to buy... Um, buy some stuff and then you know sell it for a higher price spin it around and the money was all cash flow based there's no investment from a bank it was just like we're just doing it pure like we're starting off with personal debt risk and now we're now we're spinning it around and trying to make a profit mm. and um the prices actually came down we started at the highest price in the market the prices collapsed in digital photo frames and loads of competition came out that was 18 months and it ended in um, what happened is that the prices started coming down, um, in the market and we, cause the shipping, you know, it took time to ship it out from China and stuff. We actually got our last batches. What, what's the, the manufacturer started realizing, I think that the writing was on the wall and they started sending us loads of broken hardware. And so we got our money kind of, um, some of the profit ended up being a bit locked up in, in having a bad batch. Mm. Um, so, so it ended up being about break even, which was not, not amazing. Um, so, so then we disbanded and, and, you know, one of, uh, one of the co-founders, um, had a visa issue and he, and he, and he had to kind of like, you know, not be necessarily in the UK, the, and the other co-founder wanted to do a web business. So 
we kind of disbanded um, the, the three of us, and I, I went on to trying a new experiment, um, which was quite funny because it worked. Um, this is the one. This is the one that was like a first break for me, where it was like actually that worked in terms of that's a good profit for me. Yeah. Um, so I, I did a, a, a website called so, so after eighteen months of like pushing really hard on this other other kind of different things, right, flying out to China multiple times yeah. and really trying to push like a real electronics brand forward. Um, I, I just went into, and in, you know, I moved to, um, Finsbury park and, uh, you know, it's like, okay, I need to make some money. Like I, I'm not going to go and take a job. I need to make some cash. But, in okay. Fact, Finsbury park, thinking, by the way, Finsbury park, what year was this in? <laughs> 2007. So, okay. Finsbury park was not the trendy safe place. It is <laughs> now back in 2007. I can tell you that. For sure. Yeah, the reason we had to pick it there because we, <laughs> we had just risked, we had just like put everything into this last like eighteen months. Um, and I had rejected, uh, I rejected a job. I ha- I did all the normal interviewing as well for taking a job out of out of fourth year, right? That everybody was going into consultancy and banking and and people going across to Rolls Royce and other kinds of man- UK leading manufacturing companies. And I actually did the interview process for the consultancies. And I had a contract to go into one of them. And I actually tore the contract up. I physically tore the contract up. And I said, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to go and out and build a company. I'm going to stick to the plan. Uh, wow. <laughs> and that was nuts. Um, because, you know, it's like, I didn't really have any cash at all, right? It's completely broke. And I had some student debt. And I had some credit card debt from the university. And I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to go and rip up the contract and just try and figure it out. I love it. Um, and, and so I took the hard route. And, and, and so I... I so anyway, pull the contract up, and then um, so I started working on this other I, other kind of way. I actually needed cash like immediately, and that's that's a pretty powerful way to get started. By mm. the way, to like cut through pro- getting into like you know product market fit or whatever immediately. So I wanted twenty four. I wanted product market fit in twenty four hours. Um, and so I didn't even know what the product market fit was. I didn't know what TechCrunch was. I didn't really know, you know, all the things happening in the tech world in the valley. I wasn't really fully aware of all this stuff. I was aware of technology, but more from an academic perspective mm. and more from a university perspective and not really from all these amazing businesses that was happening. So um, I was really on the outside a bit. Um, and I, I started going to some of the, like, you know, I've been going to some of the London like tech meetups and and bumping into entrepreneurs there and there was a very small community of people was this like around um, google campus and uh, no pre huh? pre that oh wow i don't i don't i don't think they, they were around at that point um i'm not sure i don't know yeah i don't think i don't think the events were happening there there were imperial entrepreneurs there was a group around them um and there were there were a couple of there was like second chance tuesday and a few things going on in london that I would be dropping into, and it and it seemed like a very small, it seemed like a very small community, um, and you know it was very like early stage, early stage uh, community in London at that point. I think I, it was very hard to find people that were doing the same, like wanted to take an entrepreneurial path, or at least like maybe I just wasn't plugged into it. But anyway, that network started to build up a little bit, and I did I did this experiment where um, I'm skipping over some other parts, by the way, there are lots of other experiments that I tried out. Um, here's what I tried. So, um, I noticed that in, I'd learned a lot about electronics and the industry of electronics in the UK. And I'd noticed that the prices of Nintendo Wii's were actually going up 
and electronic prices in, in a digital photo frame came, case came down. That half there's a half like the pricing in electronics. Now, if you see something going up, there's something there's something wrong. There's something up with this, and they were going up really rapidly. So it started ringing around, and Nintendo Wii's were running out across Europe, and across London, um, and across the UK, and across everywhere in Europe. So I saw this early, and I took a gamble, and I said, "Well, I'm going to go and buy out everything. I'm going to go and buy out all the Nintendo Wii's because we're we're looking at we were in October or." or roughly october november mm. and i thought okay everybody wants the nintendo wii for christmas so i'm gonna go and buy everything up and so i bought i bought as many as i can i didn't really have any cash so i went down to the bank and i said hey i need a 15k loan and they said what is it for this is before the crash so things are very different um what is it for i said it's for building uh it's for it's for improving my parents bathroom and i didn't ask for any collateral any documentation I'm not even a signer of the house. So things were really loose in 2007. Um, <laughs> anyway, we got this 15K loan from the bank, which is personal risk, right? And personal debt risk. And I started buying stuff out and I started selling it at 3X the price. And so I set up um, a website, started selling it at 3X the price. And this was great. And um, I, it, it gets a little bit crazier here. So we, then I started um, owning number one slot on Google Ads for people wanting to buy Nintendo Wii's in the UK. I had tons of orders coming in at 3x the price and I had people shipping me this stuff. Um, and then, you know, I eventually had so many orders that I had to go to France in a truck on the Eurostar oh to pick up. Yeah. Pick up. And it was 76 hours of driving with no sleeping, um, which is insane, by the way. This is the kind of stuff that you can do when you're a 20-year-old. Um, you can so 76 hours of driving, and we stopped off on every single different car for maxed out credit cards, maxed out. Their POS system was breaking on one of the one of the ones we broke the POS system. It's great. This is all pre-Square or pre like modern POS systems, and I and I had to buy as much as I could because I drop shipped this and got cash up front, mm. and then got back, took three hours sleep after the 76 hour ordeal, which was tough because we had to move fast. And because um, I was running out of time to get the stuff, get these, get these Nintendo Wii's for the people, people's Christmas presents, and that's why they wanted to pay three X because they were willing to pay three X price because they wanted it for Christmas presents. So I was like, I need to get the the kids are going to be disappointed if I fail the mission. It's not just about the cash, um, and I needed the cash as well to be honest. Um, and then, <laughs> then we shipped. Yeah, we shipped it. Um, I got it. This is working by myself pretty much. Um, so then I took three hours of sleep or four hours of sleep and then I packed it all and I sent it out and everything got done. Wow. And I'm like, great, I'm done. So I had a little bit of money in my back. How much did you make? Uh, I actually never, never said it. Never, never said how much I made. Okay. Is this going to be the first time or no? Sorry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry. All right. But it was, it was, it was worth it. Was it worth not going to that consultancy firm? Like once you had done it, it was like, yeah, I made the right choice. No, I didn't know. You never know because you never know what a path will lead to. You just never know. And yeah, but you know what the first year salary is going to be when you join one of these consultancy firms. So I guess yeah, that's the salary sense. would have been amazing. I could have really done with the money, and I, I had to really look at that contract and say, I don't, I don't, I don't want it. Um, I don't want it because I want to do something more difficult, more innovative, and more interesting. So you know that. So anyway, so I had a bit of cash, so I decided to go out to San Francisco. Um, cause huh. my buddy in so he had made his way out and was in a Y Combinator company called ClickPass. So I think we, we, had, we had been coaching each other a little bit on, our, on each other's businesses cause he was trying a web company in London, uh, before he went out to, to a YC company. 
And that was a 2006 YC company, I think. So it's pretty early. Mm. And uh, I went out there, or maybe it's 2007. So I went out there to, in inverted commas, uh, work for this, this other YC company. And I went there, and that was like a two-month. I was sitting in the office um, working in this YC company. And, you know, I was meeting with other YC founders and it was really interesting. This became really interesting. It was like an entire different world. Yeah, of course. Um, this is the world of Dropboxes, of Justin Khan's, of, you know, there, there weren't that many of them. There were 100, 150 or so, but they were all really interesting. Like Aaron Eber, Etherpad, and James Lindenbaum from Heroku. And pretty much everyone you bumped into had done this really interesting, amazing business. And some of them were selling for insane amounts of money or really well-valued, Reddit, etc. And this was really different. This was like, the, I don't know, the, the, the exact place you wanted to be if you wanted to be an entrepreneur. And I, yeah. I felt like I found um, a really good place to learn from people and, and hopefully do something myself here that was interesting. So... Um, me and Imad um, had both been looking for co-founders actually for a long time um, and it's really weird that we hadn't said to each other hey let's be co-founders um, so we, we decided to do that and we said hey let's try and build something let's get into YC let's get into Y Combinator for the next batch so we started, started working on different ideas um, and that was a whole interesting story in itself and eventually we came up with this kind of let's make a stumble upon for games Mm. Um, so we were trying to make a stumble upon for games and it shifted and it became a YouTube for games and we pivoted many times and then market crashed. So it's funny, it's funny. We got 30 K Y Combinator that used to give you 15 K or so mm. for the, and we asked for more. We asked for double $30,000 and we got into YC batch with into Oh nine in, uh, and, and with three months earlier than the batch start date, we had the wire transfer. Wow. And we needed to spend $20,000 for our visas. There were all these horror stories of UK founders having a visa issues. Mm. And O1s were pretty tr like pretty tough to get. I think now nowadays it's even harder to get. Yeah. I got I don't know uh, one. Shout out to us. The O1 visa was the way forward, yeah. yeah. It required like it required making Hazap actually quite well seen in the marketplace as well as one of the criteria. So in a way like to hack the to hack the visa we had to hack the company. Hmm. We had to hack the success of the company. So this was the genesis of Haze App. Uh, so you guys were tinkering around with the idea. You got a team to YC with this idea, is that correct? Yeah, we got into Y Combinator. And it's funny, we sat down on a really beautiful afternoon outside Y Combinator and Paul Graham was in his famous shorts sitting on the curb. And we were sitting on the curb as well. Interviews were very different back then. Um, and it's just us, us like Paul, me, Imad. And, and Paul, PG was like, I don't really understand what you're making, but I like you guys. That's what he said to us. And it was like, that actually spelt that PG's insight was such that we didn't have the right thing for product market fit. And he was right, <laughs> but he liked us, and he was right. Hopefully, right. So, um, and what that, was the initial was, I, and what was the initial idea for Hazel? I know you mentioned it earlier. Um, Stumble upon for games. So the, for games. it was you know compile all these different flash games and in, in out there in the world, and then allow people to play with the games um, in a widget. And we got this widget into many different websites, like three hundred fifty thousand websites. Wow. That that traction allowed us to close Union Square Ventures. Um, 
Fred Wilson. The was, did Fred Wilson lead? Yeah. So the, it was. It was when. So it was actually Albert Wenger had just joined the partnership. So I went to New York and pitched the three of them. Once again, we had like the company had run out, like was near zero money, negative to be honest, in credit credit cards. We were running so low on cash, um, as in negative cash, right? When I say low on cash, I mean to the maximum extent that you can have credit cards open. Wow. That's what I mean. I don't mean to zero. I mean way beyond zero. Like if you were um, at zero, you would be happy. <laughs> Zero is fine. You don't have debt when you're at zero. Yeah. Um, yeah. And a lot of entrepreneurs like that are struggling or trying to figure it out will probably hover around that and beyond it. It is really different now. But it's so liquid. How much money is out there? Um, it, you know, it's very, very different nowadays that you can get funded pretty, like I would say, a lot more easily. Um, but maybe not. Maybe not. Well, I mean, I, I think it's probably the same in some some countries, right? Like, let's just say outside of Europe, or, or certain countries in Europe and outside of uh, China or maybe Japan, um, USA. If you're if you're fundraising in you know a, a, a different country and the the angel community is not yet booted up, it could be really difficult for you, right? So mm. I think this is still applicable for for people outside of like Silicon Valley for sure. And that's where most most entrepreneurs will end up being. They will be out 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 in the wild everywhere, every every country. Um, so so yeah, it was. I'm sure that the hustle continues for for most people that are trying to make make it happen. Um, yeah, so we had to. Yeah, so we raised a round. Um, it was a pretty damn good round, to be honest. At the time, uh, from Union Square Ventures, Albert had just joined the firm, and he took on the the deal. Uh, I think at the time I was directly pitching Fred Wilson, and Albert was on the left, and and Brad was on the right, and uh, we got the deal. But we put it together with some really smart angels. And Naval joined the round. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna talk to you about that. Yeah, and so at this stage, were you still pre-product or this is like post YC and you've got something out there? Like, where were you at this point? We had, we had the widget out there, and publishers were installing it. And this was like a blogging era. People, you know, there were companies like Discuss and publishers were installing things into the website, and everybody thought that there was going to be this kind of more modular, distributed type. Um, widgetization of lots of components of the web um and you know we, we had 350,000 websites that installed this widget in how long that in in a very short amount of time like three months or four months or something and how, so were, they, how, they, how were they finding out about you that's, that's crazy all sorts of things we were just we we were trying everything we were like plugging into like wordpress press blogs and we were doing we had a lot of press around it and um we were we were figuring out every single possible way to like make the embeddable unit more viral and other people embedding it, um, plugging it into site creator tools and trying every single distribution. We were pressing hard on distribution actually. Mm. And, and that made the graphs go up and that mean meant it wasn't making money. We didn't have any monetization plan for it. And that was a big mistake actually. Um, and that was the early, the early components of, of, of it. And, and, Getting getting to Unisquare Ventures level thinking, and Naval and Joshua Schachter from Delicious joining, and Christina Broadbeck from YouTube plugged us in. It kind of plugged Imad and I into the real thinking of like, okay, these are actually the people that know kind of what's going on, you know, and yeah. have done it before. And you um, and Imad and were the, <clears throat> and you and Imad were the only ones building this product, which was you two. Yeah, pretty well. I mean, right at the very start, when we got a first, um, our first. Uh, Higher, it was James Smith, and he runs Bugsnag now. 
VC funded company. I think they have like 50 to 80 people. Um, you know, they've, they've had a bunch of v, like great VC, loads of people use that product. So it's really interesting that outside out of Hazap came a bunch of different businesses. Um, I think Ian McHendry ra- raised what is like 40 X million for his a, um, me and Emerald have gone on to make golden and Emerald's made uh, mercury. And, uh, we had, you know, Ben Braverman's become the first, uh, it, I think, um, you know, the CRO of Flexport. Wow. So out wow. of this group of people, um, the, I mean, early days, like we were smaller and then, you know, James joined us and others started joining us. And we, we ended up having this kind of interesting collective of people who have gone on to do relatively like interesting businesses. You guys are like the, the PayPal mafia, but the Hazap mafia. <laughs> yeah. We do joke about, we actually do call it that. We do call it the Hazap mafia, but Hazap itself never made massive scale. Like we sold it for $45 million in 2016. And there were lots of stories between like the start and the finish, but I did want to spend a bit more time talking about golden as well. And, but there, there was a, like a lot of twists and turns and learning and um, all this kind of stuff along the way that led to like maybe me and Imad having a lot of like battle scars and still early. Right. Um, and it looks like Mercury's doing really well and Golden's doing well, hopefully. Yeah. Um, the, and those battle scars came from like, you know, just being really quite fiercely determined to make it work and, and trying lots of different things and learning things that didn't work. And that opened up the doors um, as well for me to start investing in other things by seeing so much variety and seeing what didn't work a lot of the times, right? Yeah. And and being interested in this deep like te- technology that's out there, um, and you know before people started using the word of deep tech or whatever, um, but just like actual things that are really exciting. And putting those together, I ended up you know over the last eight years back in 180 different different businesses. Yeah, no, that's crazy. So uh, let's talk yeah. a little bit about those those twists and turns because um, I want to dive into a little bit of like Hayseps and the challenges because, like you said, you guys eventually sold for 45 million after about eight years, um, and I can only imagine the the pivots, the trial and errors, and all the ups and downs that that came with that. So could you talk a little bit about how? I mean, like you said, you guys were focused on distribution. You know, 350,000 people are using the product or it's installed on 350,000 websites. How, like, talk to me about some of those challenges in the early days. Because um, I know you guys eventually pivoted a couple of times um, into something that worked. Yeah, we pivoted so many times that I don't even remember all the pivots. So, <laughs> uh, no kidding you. Um, so, so one of them, so it's kind of like pivoting when you, th- when you see something not working. So we had all this distribution out there, right? So we had eyeballs. And what we should have done is started showing our own ads, but we mm. didn't. Um, we didn't plug that. We didn't know how that worked, and we didn't plug it in, and we didn't work it out properly. Um, and what we started to try and do is the publishers wanted to kind of run their ads in front of our content because it was on their website. So we didn't. We were getting squeezed. The business model was getting squeezed because the publishers really controlled the ads, and the business model was terrible because we didn't. We couldn't actually. Um, we couldn't actually sh- like control the ads because it was someone else's website, right? So we decided, hey, we need to have a home for these users. So what we ended up doing is launching an app on mobile. And also everything was starting to shift to mobile and we needed to get over to mobile. So we made a bet. Um, and the bet was so controversial in the team that we had to work on it in secret. Oh my so me and Emil had to work on it in secret on the weekends in our own company because the company was so baked into wanting to be the team was so baked into wanting to do it on the web 
with the current idea. I'm like, let's make it work. We can make it work. Now, me and Imad actually just said, hey, we're just going to work a, we're on a Skunk Works project. And we designed the app on the weekends in secret. One engineer, me, him, that was it. Three, three-person team of a larger group of seven to eight people. And we made an app that was, you know, checking for games. And um, we've seen the, uh, the success with Foursquare. Foursquare, yeah. So we, we, we wanted to, and we thought there was no central place for, you know, mobile gamers to be to be hanging out in a community and so we, we tried to make a community for that it actually did get millions of installs in the end and we had worked out a really nice distribution mechanism which was that for the check-in to occur we we um it was better if game developers installed an sdk and this sdk would allow us to know when the user had opened up the app mm. and this meant that if, if the user didn't have the app it could actually ask them hey do you want to log your check-in and that meant that all the gaming activity out there was leading to installs of the of the Hazep app. And we had 20,000 installs per day. And people paid a lot of money for that, for that kind of volume of installs, right? Mm. So we had a really good distribution mechanism figured out. But the retention of the app was not good enough. The retention And the retention, we had not learned that really what should have been in the feeds of the application was something that would have been very interesting retentive data. It's not a check into a game. No, that's like a little kind of hook of something very small to get a user, you know, user interested. But it's not enough to, to like watch a feed, right? Because mm. you start seeing that you know people have gone into this words of friends, of this game, this game. It doesn't really matter. The hook was actually video, and the hook was really Twitch. And if you think about it, the community of gamers, what do they want to see content-wise? What is the retention? It's watching people play games. Yeah. And and so Twitch Twitch nailed it. And um, the HazeUp app, what happened with the HazeUp app is that we started selling advertising because we had our own app now, our own distribution. We started selling access to be able to promote your game to the users. And the and you know we would charge a dollar to two dollars per install, which is quite a lot of money. If you think about that on mass, right? Yeah. If you can drive lots of installs to to millions of users, so we started the app started monetizing, and then but we hit the we hit the ceiling of the monetization of of the distribution of the app, and the distrib- the thing wasn't um, growing mega scale because the retention wasn't there, the retention dynamics weren't there, so then we then we um, so then we decided, hey, we got an SDK base, we we installed in like ten thousand developers, so let's launch an ad SDK. And this, once again, was so controversial that it was almost blocked again. <laughs> Why? By the team or the board or who? With the board, um, because, you know, you're, it, you, in a way, you could say, hey, well, you're going back into a, a publisher model. Like, you just pivoted away from that distributed publisher model because the monetization was problematic. The things we had to pivot because we, hit, kept, we were hitting a scale issue and we couldn't solve the retention. We just couldn't figure it out. Mm. Um, we weren't good enough, actually, to figure it out at the time, and probably maybe even now in different situations, right? Yeah. So we couldn't. Fi- we tried to figure out the core issue, but we couldn't figure it out. So we um, we did the we did the SDK monetization, and uh, that started working. So we we what we did we had Vungle was around doing thing, video ads, um, and Chartboost or like other ones were doing image ads really well. Yeah. So we yeah. said, hey, what happens if we put an SDK together where the two are together in one package? And, you know, we would decide based on your internet connection or something else, whether we show you a video ad or a normal ad. And it turned out that the blended SDK worked really well. We started getting more and more game developers installing it, and we were taking a cut of the monetization. And that was great. So the revenue started coming up. It's, and a, com- it started it's a complicated growing. model, but... 
it, it works. It, yeah, we started taking like thirty percent cut or something. Okay. And and we were so we were building out an ad network, and the revenue started coming up, and we started getting. We got to a million. I think it was a million. Was it a million per month? Yeah, it was a million per month. Wow. In revenue, so it was not crazy, but it was kind of cool. It was like okay, it's we not have, insignificant. We no, now. yeah. Yeah, it was cool. And then this is what happened. So everybody then the ad network started getting super competitive, um, and everybody started copying each other. And we decided to go one level once again. Me and Imad are like, okay, let's let's play the chess game again. Let's move a a, a bishop around, or let's move like um, a knight around here. We have to. We can't. We can't just stay in this super competitive zone. We got to evolve. So we went and evolved again, and that was to do mediation. So we jumped up one level, and that was to say, let's be the master SDK that dictates and optimizes which ads are going to be shown using machine learning to pick out. Um, the correct prediction of the right ad to maximize the money for the publisher. And we built a mediation engine and there were a couple of mediators or fewer competitors here. Mm. Um, and we decided to try and make the best mediation engine. And we started doing that. But guess what? Because you're mediating, you don't end up showing your own ads. You show necessarily the best performing ones. Right. So the it was actually cannibalizing the revenue. No, sorry. It was cannibalizing the margin and it was ca cannibalizing um, that against burn. So in doing this, it put us in a better strategic position, but it actually cannibalized um, the, the margin. And at this point, me and Imad have been doing this for eight to nine years. Yeah. So we were like, okay, we started like completely naively in a particular area. And we've pivoted on this chessboard from a really bad position or on this like war diagram, like, you know, kind of war field or battlefield. And we kept pivoting. Let's we we said, hey, like we need to do some resets here. And by the time I think we had built a really good team at this point, and we could build some interesting products. But the the writing was on the wall, timing wise for the model, and um, in terms of burn and raising, and no one, no VCs really wanted to back an ad ad network or mediation network. So guess what? We sold. sold. We sold to Oxfester, right? Yeah. And uh, we sold to Fiber, and we had one year earnout, and then I'm I was still. Over that nine years, you know, I, I personally really wanted to build something that, you know, it it was in the back of my head all the time. Like I we I was I was learning and doing investments in lots of interesting companies like Gusto and Carter and Supersonic Jets and Boom and DNA printing and DNA reading and all this stuff that was super interesting. Um, I I felt like you know. I, you know we need to we need to do something bigger here yeah. and and that's why that's why we you know decided to sell. Um, we were still making, you know, uh, one mil uh, per month, and okay. we were roughly break even. So we sold forty five. And, and how many? Yeah, and out. Yeah. Sorry, and yeah, I just want to back up a bit there. So, how many people were you at the time of the acquisition? And yeah. and at the time, I guess you guys raised. You done a Series B up. You, you raised up to eight million. So I think selling for yeah. forty five minutes. You know, I think investors investors must have been happy with that, right? Yeah, it was good. I think they were happy that we battled through it, right? And you know, for investors that uh, are professional VCs, the things that return the funds have to be, you know, these graphs are very nonlinear in, in most of these systems. So things that return the funds are on the very end of the extreme. So when you sell for something like forty-five mil, it doesn't really move the needle of the funds. Mm. So it, it, you know, it's funny. It's like you can do all this stuff, but it moves your personal needle, right? And yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. It moves your personal needle, and that, that's when you start thinking, actually, you start thinking not just about what you're building, but the whole ecosystem of the different incentive structures of everyone in the whole system. And um, that that was kind of interesting as well to go through that. And, you know, I 
I in the back of my mind, like Golden, um, I I had written down loads of different businesses that could be good and predicted some of them and invested in in many of them that were predictions and a lot of them ended up becoming unicorns from seed, um, which was great. And and the one that was on my radar as well was Golden and I couldn't find anyone working on it. And that was to build a canonical while doing a lot of research um, on on technologies or companies or you know, different kinds of um, things out there that, that I kept getting empty answers. I kept getting en- empty. There's just no place to find out the information about things. So this, this has cropped up like to build like a knowledge base of world knowledge and, and make it really open and accessible and allow companies to pull the APIs and query our data. This, this, this opportunity had been building for about 10 years in, in the back of my mind wow. with different signals. Um, and I, could, I still couldn't find anyone that was going to build it. So, you know, I decided to build it myself. And, you know, the day after the earnout, didn't take a holiday. Yeah, I noticed new... that you were straight back in there. Straight back in. <laughs> straight you know back what? in. <laughs> straight back in. Uh, That's so, crazy. Uh, Some people take like a three, six month sabbatical, you know, like I just made all, you just made all these millions, right? And you didn't want to. So the sabbatical is like maybe, you know, you want to figure out what you want to do. Yeah. Maybe you need a holiday, maybe feel burnt out. But, you know, in that 10 years, I've already re- like, figured, tried to figure out burnout management techniques already. So, you know, it's coming up from and you have to you have to preempt it and get in front of it. Right. So didn't need it for the didn't need it to like reset burnout or anything. Didn't need it to figure out what I wanted to do. I wanted to build a really interesting company. Um, and, you know, I spent a year thinking through like different kinds of businesses that I could build. I built little decks out. I was pitching them to people, I was pitching them to myself and, you know, finding ones that, you know, ones that I wanted to do, I found company, teams working on them. So I went and backed them and Golden remained as the one that was seemed the most interesting and the one that I couldn't find anyone that was working on it in a serious way. Um, right. So, so that's why I decided to go, go for it, jump in the WeWork by myself. <laughs> one man desk, and, uh, hot desk, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. One, one, one desk and then start like, you know, talking to people. Um, it's back and, at the you know, beginning again. Like, I love it. Okay. Sorry, you're just starting from square one again. Just like, let's get back Spons. at it. One man band. Let's just go. Get back in, yeah, and start thinking about the brand. Start thinking about what we want to be, what we want to represent, what com- long term company we want to be, long term mission. I started planning out a lot of stuff, not building it yet, but just planning it out. Mm. And then, then we started doing building experiments um, and trying different things. Um, and we're still trying different things. I think, you know, it's a process of iteration when you're trying to do something like this that is, is maybe, you know, a bit on the more uh, ambitious scale or risky scale um, and risky side and, and, you know, starting to try and de-risk the thesis and pitch it by smart people and test experiments out and, you know, start building the vision. And, you know, two and a half years or whatever later, you know, it we... Um, well, two years later, we get it. We, we did a formal launch. It hit the top of Hacker News. Uh, we didn't architect that. We I didn't even want to be on Hacker News, but someone put it there and it went to the top. Wow. Uh, we we got to the top of Product Hunt, Product Hunt second of the week. Um, lots of Twitter buzz, and it looked, it, you know, it's like cool. Okay, so people like this, and and then we started launching the commercial tools, getting paying customers. Okay, this is crazy. So and and Golden, in my understanding, after looking at the product, is it's, it's like an intelligent wikipedia i don't know if i'm butchering the pitch here but it's like yeah, a in different ways i mean like wikipedia is pretty intelligent in itself right in that the content is pretty cool and the system even though it's 18 years old the system's pretty amazing that it actually works so well 
Um, but there's many other things. There's many um, things that are not there that we would like to 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 do, right? So we believe that we can have, you know, there's an arbitrary notability requirement in Wikipedia. So SV Angel has been deleted from Wikipedia. Hello Sign was deleted from Wikipedia three weeks before it sold the Dropbox for two fifty million. Um, you can't find out what a, a Turing structure is, or Algorand, the cryptocurrency, doesn't have a page, or cryptocurrency hedge funds don't have a page, or Arrington XRP Capital doesn't have a page, and Urbit page got deleted, but it's back now, I think. Um, Sense Time, you know, didn't have a page, and it was a, a one billion, you know, as a unicorn. Um, I think it does have a page now. Um, but there are many that, uh, you know, get deleted, or but they still exist, and they're still out there, and people are interested in them. Yeah. Or there's topics that don't preemptively get created. And then there's what you can do with it. And we believe that, by the way, there's a thousand X um, scale wise. Um, so we want to head in the kind of 10 to 20 billion entity range. Wikipedia is around 6 million articles and different, different things as well. So and Wikipedia is amazing, by the way, like this is one of the most important things that anyone's that the humanity has built. And, you know, it's 18 years old now. So, I, you know, we're asking, Hey, how can we use NLP and machine learning to speed up the process and go deeper with the information with larger breadth and more accessibility and involve companies to supply money into the game to also help accelerate the collection of information. Um, and, and I believe there's a big company to be built where you can build a database of knowledge and have this knowledge accessible on open pages for the world, query tools for companies who need it, who need to access it in a programmatic way or in a kind of commercial way and bulk ways over APIs as well. So, the you know so that that to me is really exciting if we can have every single thing that you could think of um you know all companies executives um scientists by the way also like you know clarice phelps who, who co-discovered element 117 in the periodic table was deleted from wikipedia wow. and you know the media has written about this um wow. and i find that i find that uh an issue you know so so i i, I want to I want to get more resolution. I want to get more detailed resolution on validation of facts. I want to be able to do interesting functions with it. I want to reduce the friction for editing and help use AI to help keep it fresh and keep it powered and, and really unlock all this information that's scattered all over fragmented documents on the web, web pages, academic papers. There's a big divide between academic papers as well mm. and, um, you know, normal like readable knowledge and then and there's all sorts of other problems beyond this if we can crack the core um there's a lot of other things so i wanted a roadmap as well that was relatively unlimited uh, and not something that just converged off into a problem set of like hey we're done now like you know we're done now we made the unicorn um let's just like you know do boxes around the edges yeah i wanted something that's like oh wow you've got something really interesting here you can you can build all these other pieces off the back of it and something that actually is a tool that lifts all all the ships in the, in the harbor as well, and with, which is like ten billion mines. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, with so with Golden, your new baby, straight in, uh, you raise five million dollars from again some super notable investors. You know, you have Andreessen Horowitz there. You have Founders Fund, SV Angels, etc. Um, you know, were, was there no intention? I know after you had your exit, you done some angel investing. Was there no? Did you not think okay? I could. I've got enough money now to not use a credit card and loans <laughs> to fund my venture. I could actually Absolutely. just do this all my on my own. What was the impetus behind raising more money? Yeah. Oh, you know, in saying that, I actually put. I actually did the first um, large check into Golden on my own money. Wow. So I I I took a huge risk actually in some respects, and by going like 
mostly in with my own money on to fund the company at the start. Right. And um so I still did did that risk in a in a different in a different way. Okay, fair. Um, and you know there are pros and cons to it, right? Um, but the yeah, we have a great like we had a great seed round, and they you know the, the investors have been amazing for us, um, super useful all the way. Um, and yeah, now 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 we got paying customers, and we're just getting inbounds coming in from different companies for accessing the data. And well, the best part is that I think it's compatible. We can make it compatible where companies want to get access to the data in programmatic and bulk ways and that it gets reinvested as well into us having being able to produce more content and produce better tools so that we can actually unlock the information as well so we think we got um a nice business model that 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 protects the north star and the mission of of having all this information open which is the most exciting part to me about this company that i want to be able to look up any startup or any technology or even like historical architects that you know, I, I went through an architect um, the other day on Wikipedia, and I, I, unfortunately, I went to some of the references and I went to the web page, and there was nothing there. Wow. It had not been backed up, um, and I was, I was quite sad about it to be honest. Because I, I went to Amazon, and I looked for a book on it, I couldn't find any books on it. I went to YouTube, and I looked for the architect, and the architect was really well, really talented. Um, and it, you know, it's it's it's, it's so I think a hundred um, eighty years old or so. Um, and I couldn't find any information on this, on deeper information on the architect. And I was like, okay, well, it doesn't just apply to new things. It also applies to historical things as well. Yeah. So you need a better system here. You know, this can't, you know, we need, we need an evolution of the next like canonical knowledge tool. And, um, you know, uh, yeah, so that, that, that's what we're working on now. And, and we put a good team about a uh, great team around the, the mission and, we're just hacking away and trying to ship features every single day, every hour, improving it, increasing the data. Um, always interested in what people's feedback is, you know, for improving the site. There's loads of stuff to improve. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of roadmap that goes that goes quite far out. So yeah, no, that, that's what makes it like intellectually simulating as well. Not just like where we're going, but the little problems along the way figuring it out yeah and you're backing your your element you know just kind of hustling and figuring things out and, and building no that's yes. that's awesome yes so i want to switch gears a bit now and and talk a bit sure. about startups in the, in the general sense right so obviously second time founder you've raised money um you've invested in 180 companies is that is that correct yeah yeah, um, rough, I'm not. I'm, I'm starting to lose count. Now. You're starting to lose count. You're just throwing yeah. the money around. You see where it's, see where it lands. Um, so well, how very, very targeted, <laughs> very thesis driven. Yeah, yeah. I guess you know something that we spoke about before we started recording was the fact that you've done all this amazing work. You know, you sold a company, you've invested in companies. You're, you're working on your second company. You've raised a ton of money. How have you managed to keep a kind of like a fairly low profile as far as the tech? ecosystem goes like globally right like you said that was quite intentional can you talk a little bit about why you decided to just keep your head down and crack on basically yeah the intention is not necessarily to keep a low profile the intention is to work and get things done so my 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 strategy is like hey i'm more interested in like um getting the job done than necessarily doing um conference after conference after conference or you know i haven't updated my blog for a while um because I've been too busy building golden. So I I have not, you know, and sometimes if I it's funny, the busiest periods when you're really making the most ground, I feel like, say on Twitter, I won't tweet for a long time. Um because I'm working. So so for me, there's 
I was I'm I'm mostly interested in making golden work and that that's how I rally the, the time around that. Um and you know, I don't I actually like being at my desk. I like being in the office. I like trying my best to stay out of meetings, uh, <laughs> even though I'm getting dragged into them. But the so I, I prefer to be in the office with the team working on the product and being product focused, being product centric. And that that means that takes a certain um, that's a different kind of optimization, right? Um, and as for the investing as well, the investing is a hobby. It's not it's not full time. It's only a hobby. Mm. So that 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 takes second place to building golden um and you know it's it's really should be complementary um to golden as well where it might be like oh that's interesting that helps me solve a problem that that golden needed like you know gusto's great pay- payroll software and that was really useful for hazap because and, and it's useful for golden because that payroll software makes my life easier so i like investing in tools as well but then sometimes there are things out there that just have to be done you know um for for existential risk purposes or otherwise so you know that profile wise um it depends on you know networks as well like um also as well like you, you know if your profile is too wide you might you might end up with a lot of noise and versus signal you mm. know rather than being known to particular groups of people um for 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 various things so you know and it's always really hard like i have no idea really of you can always use your Twitter followers as a as a proxy to that. Yeah. Um. And but it's yes yes and no with that. Um. There are like so I, it's not it's not something I'm optimizing on. I'm optimizing on making golden work. Right. And do you think startups tend to kind of focus on the wrong things? Like out of the companies that you've invested in, have you seen kind of like the telltale signs of some founders who are like, dude, you don't need to be doing that. Do you think it's for- it's necessary in some cases. Like, how do you think founders should navigate their navigate their time? Sure. So, not the companies that I found uh, backed. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they, those ones are good. Um, so, gen- genuinely, I actually think it's like I can't really think of um, very many cases of of companies that are backed doing the wrong things. I'm sure everyone's doing something suboptimally. Um, and in terms of, I don't actually think I don't actually think I see a lot of companies doing the wrong things necessarily because it's actually hard to see what people are doing. So I don't really have an opinion on um, exactly like what a com- whether a company is doing a right thing or wrong thing. Sometimes you get a thesis and you're like, that company is doing the wrong thing. Um, and, you know, that that some, I would say that's much rarer. Um, I would say a lot of the companies, the ones that have the more visibility are doing the right thing. Yeah. So it's kind of hard to see the ones that are doing the wrong thing because you never get to see them in the first place. True. And, and what, I guess... Aside from your investments and your startups that you're aware of, what do you tend to see startups doing that are the wrong thing? Like, where do you see where do you see startups going wrong in terms of how they start up a company? Oh, sure. So the 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 former question is like once again a visibility issue, but the latter question, like you can see in like the summaries of startup failures. So, yeah. Um, there's many things that can go wrong, right, with a startup. Um, the co-founder setup can be um, the wrong mix of it could be the wrong mix of skill sets. Um, so you might get two business people that don't know how to necessarily um, build a product um, or necessarily know how to actually even engineer it. If they know what they're looking for, they can't engineer it. Um, you can end up with co-founder incompatibilities down the line in different different perspectives. Um, most, like a lot could go for necessarily the wrong market. Like they're really capable people, but they go for the wrong market or... They go for the right market, but they get the wrong model. 
they get the wrong business model and they don't know necessarily how, how to architect that. Some don't figure out distribution. So they got a great product, but bad distribution and they don't know how to get it out there. Um, and really like tight businesses have like distribution linked into the product and they're very tightly bound. Um, so, and then there's like subtleties of like, okay, say you get, some people don't know how to raise funding. So they might, they might just like not be able to get there. Um, and run out of cash. A lot of them run out of cash. A lot of them don't know how to run their burn or finances, not necessarily doing that. Uh, well, there's something to, I wouldn't say a lot of them, I'd say just watch out for doing, just watch out, know your burn, know your finances, know your runway. Um, don't leave everything to the last minute. Um, and then if, you, if you're getting a bit further along, maybe you get to a seed round, then there's like how to build a business more at scale to get to the A. And then there's scaling mechanics beyond that. Um, and a lot of businesses just aren't necessarily cut out to be venture scale, right? Mm. And that's okay. Like, you know, it's okay to set up a coffee shop um, if you want to if you want to make a coffee shop. And I think I think there's a bit of an obsession with people trying to make unicorns when they were never they never wanted it in the first place, mm. and they never really wanted it, right? Yeah. Um, so I think people need to think about what scale of business they want to operate at. Do they really want to be running a unicorn? It comes with like certain responsibilities and constraints. Um, so, you know, or would they prefer to have like, what, what do they really want? And like optimizing around what they want. Right. And it might actually be to work at a company. Like not everyone's a founder. Like in fact, hardly any people are founders, you know, it, it comes with added, it comes with a lot of stress. It could affect your, like your health and, and your relationship. So there's, there's all this kind of other dimensions that people, I think a lot, like many, uh, I think, I think this, uh, Naval's thinking, um, you know, which is like kind of spending a long time people spending a long time trying to figure out what they were good at and then if, you know once they find it you know you really kind of probably want to double down on that mm. um, is that on his uh podcast i'll the i'll teach how I'm to get sure. rich it just, just got a feeling that he said that or or, or brought this up and it's Did kind you of listen to his podcast? Secretary search. it might be it might be to do with naval ravikant um he yeah. might have talked about this yeah he's got a um, podcast called um how to get rich or something it's like a cheesy name but it's got golden no pun intended, but it's got like golden, really golden pieces of content in there. It's like amazing. Yeah, yeah Naval was on my board for about four years as a mentor, so I learned a lot of things from him. Yeah, he's dope. I love Naval. Naval, co-founder of AngelList, serial entrepreneur, serial angel investor. Like he's a, a yeah. real, a real guy. And at the same time, there's there's a lot of people out there that know know this this information. They've got mental models and models and stuff. And to be honest. Um, you have to figure out your own stuff and you could do this without even listening to anything mm. and, and, and just getting on with it and testing things out. So, you know, there is a balance between uh, how to balance your time. Right. Um, and you know, some people need to test it out themselves and some people need to study it a bit before they go and test it out. So it's different kind of different approaches to that. Yeah. Um, leveling up your kind of startup knowledge, um, and having the right mix and balance for, for yourself. And what, in your opinion, would you say are some of the kind of key ingredients needed to build a successful startup? It sounds as it, so like, for example, it sounds as though with you and Imad, you had a really good balance in terms of like technical ability, um, and hustle and like business acumen ish. Like, yeah, and we taught each other stuff. And eventually I think we, we absorbed maybe quite a lot of each other's skills. And that, yeah. that's a good thing, right? That's a good thing. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I think having common values between the co-founders and different skill sets, as you as you alluded to, is really useful because then you can say, okay, you look after this, I'm going to look after this, and but then and and thinking in similar ways, um, but th- 
that event allow you to well having a great way of resolving conflict and getting to the answer where you're both comfortable to move forward if you lock up your decision making process you're in big trouble mm-hmm. if your decision making process as well doesn't match reality and the optimal answer in reality you're in trouble as well you're going in the wrong direction so and then being able to iterate being on on your toes is quite dynamic um and you know at the end of the day you're going to make a really good product as well yeah so that you know a product or service you got to make something really unique um and that differentiates and it adds a lot of value um to to reality you know it adds a lot of real value to what people are trying to trying to get done so i mean there's there's, there's so many ways to to address this and um everyone has a kind of different unique path there are different mo- there are models that 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 can get you there i mean raul did some interesting writing about with superhuman about product market fit and it's his method for iterating around getting there um some people can intuitively make a product right first time um and they're 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 quite interesting um founders to go back um some people are great at making massive businesses some people are amazing at doing great deals i guess finding out what you're what you're really good at and trying to double down around that and also making the business around something you really care about so that when it's raining outside and it's cold and you know you're tired and you know, you went out to some. Um, you went out. You went out to something last night. You kind of didn't get enough sleep. You're going to get out of bed. You're just going to spring out of bed and get down to the office and start working on it. Um, or, or maybe you're being your gym jams and you're you're still working at home on it. And that's totally fine because startups come from lots of different stories. And um, I think doubling down on where you're strong, finding your weaknesses early, trying to correct them. Maybe the co-founder can help help cover your weaknesses, and you can help cover their weaknesses. Um, iterating with great communication, getting mentors, getting coaches. I mean, like coaches that have done it before can, can help you yeah. move forward. Making your own, making your own thesis, making your own battle plans, uh, making your own rules, and and pitching them to other people and refining them and testing them, and you know, being in it to win it. Um, I think is is, is way, way to go. And I think determination is key, the key part, um, and you know, figuring it out as you as you go along. No, that's 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 super good advice. Talk about the fundraising process. Um, we wanted to touch base on that um, before we wrap up. So, talk to me about the fundraising process. Like, when is the right time to start looking for capital? Um, and typically, in your experience, like it sounds as though you had kind of like a pretty linear fundraising process. Like you did YC, opened up doors. Um, but I guess when should founders really think about raising capital, and how should they go about it? I think the first thing is figuring out whether you have a, a venture scale type business, right? Yeah. So most businesses are not venture scale, so you probably shouldn't raise venture money. And you could raise from friends and family if you think you're going to like 2x their money, 3, 4x their money. Um, it depends on, and that's risky as well for them because if they're only making one bet and if you mess it up, you know, that's annoying for them. They're not professional investors, right? Mm. And they don't have a portfolio necessarily. So I think figuring out like even before you start, are you a venture company? Do you want to run a venture business? Are you willing to do 10 years uh, on working on this company and figuring it out? Or are you just going to bail and like, if it, it first sign of like it not working, you're going to fold the company. So when you figure that out, there's a whole, you probably want to talk to 10 people who have done it before and examine the dynamics and learn everything and learn all the names. Like what is a safe note? What are preferred stock and common stock? And what are the difference, difference between options and stock and, what are foreign NA prices and what's a native freebie election? And if it's UK dynamics, you need to learn the UK dynamics and you need to learn these things. What does lead investor mean? And so if you know what some of the pieces are and you're 
And then you're going to be trying it. And, and obviously you've got to formulate a pitch and you've got to refine the pitch and you should practice a pitch with your friends first and other business people until you can't find any issues with it. And then you maybe try some um, early uh, meetings with not your most important targets too, because you're going to make mistakes and you iterate each time and you're running a pipeline and you, and you're, you're raising, raising around, but ideally you're making something really interesting so interesting that people come to you because that's really what you should really figure out. Um, but that's, it's going to be rare. Um, it's going to be rare for that to occur, but if you can do that, that's more important. If you can make something that, Hey, they really have something. Everybody's talking about them all the time. You know, architect your business primarily to work by itself, you know, maybe, you know, consider the, consider the bootstrapping route even. And, you know, maybe it can't be bootstrapped. Like a supersonic jet can't be bootstrapped. I think, um, <laughs> So maybe you do need VC money. Um, so you know, figure out what kind of business you are. If it's pure software, maybe you could bootstrap some of it in in your gym jams in your in your house, um, or maybe you need to build a more formal company around it. And it, it depends on your personality type. Are you hackers or are you business people? And um, there's you know maybe you're a hybrid of both, which would be good. Um, so the yeah, that, that there's many many nuances to all the different stages, and I think the most important thing is is interviewing and talking to people that have done it having something really interesting in the first place so that people want to help you yeah because if you don't have anything interesting why would these people that have done it before talk to you in the first place yeah um and yeah so work having something unique and, and interesting is the primary thing to, to, to optimize on i think no that's great advice uh jude jude i want to work towards uh wrapping up now and ask a few of the uh the rapid fire questions um sure that I wanted to, to ask. So what has or who has been your, your biggest inspiration? Isaac Newton. <laughs> huh. I think he worked insanely hard to get some of the results um, and figure out interesting things about nature, having like direct line of sight into how things work, I think is pretty commendable. Um, and, you know, being, being involved in lots of different areas is is pretty interesting i mean i i'm also a fan of richard Feynman, roger penrose lot, lots of great like physicists mathematicians mm. um you know i think for modern day more modern day people um entrepreneurs who have built like pretty legendary companies and done done the impossible um are always interesting to me um invest some certain investors as well in terms of their intellect like you know warren buffett and charlie munger um you've got all the classics like bill gates and, and steve jobs and all the kind of computer wars there um i think elon musk with with tesla and um you know spacex like how can you run multiple companies at the same time that yeah. that certainly yeah. is quite interesting um and but you know you know from my perspective i think um i it i'm a bit of a bit more of a purist in that the people that i really look up to are the the people that discovered like interesting things about how nature works um and to to dedicate your life to, to that where there's no monetary component um and you, where you're figuring out how things work that that seems to be the purest um godel mathematician um and, and to be honest every time i write, read about any particularly specialized like scientists um who, of the past it, it, it's pretty pretty commendable how much struggle they go through um in in terms of they you know, have any any budget and there's no revenue coming their way hmm. but they still keep knocking on the door of like sitting there trying to work it work it out and that's 
that's pretty interesting. So yeah. I that's that's what I like. Um, and there's been you know like Hypatia and so many like classical uh, figures um, as well who who are great minds, and they're they're the ones that I think are are the most like noble. Um, and you know us mere engineers um, can just build go and build systems around their fundamental discoveries. But I do think on a, <laughs> on a more um, more serious note, this that I am very interested in this loop between discovery um at the academic side and that feeding through like say the electron gets discovered and then we end up building machines with it and these machines are really useful and it opens up all these industries and then we use those machines to go and re-introspect nature and pull new things out um like higgs boson and then you know or someone predicts higgs boson then we build machines that required like knowledge of the electron to go and build the machines to go and see the higgs boson and then you know now that we can see this or have discovered it uh, beyond the theory but what are we going to then use that for and then what is that going to help us open up so it goes in this cycle um and i'm very interested in that circle um and cycle um and hence hence that hence uh, our logo um mm. so the, the yeah that that's that's kind of like to be honest it's a whole ecosystem of lots of different people and we i've just given it given lots of famous names but you know there's lots of people that we never even heard about who, who have put important pieces, yeah, critical pieces into the yeah. ecosystem. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And what, what's your favorite podcast? Mm. I just started, I just tested um, The Portal by Eric Weinstein. Okay. Um, that's That's been quite interesting. Um, I do enjoy Joe Rogan's uh, podcast. I think they're quite relaxing. Yeah, <laughs> they are. Uh, I, don't, I don't have to worry about that. I do listen to... Uh, various like lectures um more than podcasts and and to be honest audio i spend most of my time on on more audio books to be honest ah. uh, and i i actually stay stay i'm not current and up to date necessarily via podcasts i stay i try to read more long-form content um and uh really enjoying just plowing through audio books on physics and biology and so my next question, what's your favorite blog? Favorite blog. Um, I like reading, I don't really know whether you can call it a, phys- a, a blog, but I do like reading Quantum Magazine, physics.org. Um, they're not really blogs. Okay. <laughs> um, but I do read each like article that, that comes out of like Quantum Magazine and physics.org, yeah. That's crazy. crazy. Uh, favorite book? Ooh, favorite book. I do, this is a, a lot of people will give this answer, but I, I did really enjoy um, Godel Escherbach. Um, and I am reading The Road to Reality, um, but halfway through that by Roger Penrose in terms of understanding the universe a little bit more. Um, and on the nonfiction, uh, oh, sorry, on the fiction side, because I'm, I'm usually nonfiction, I would go for uh, Permutation City is quite interesting. Um, Greg Egan's got a lot of interesting sci-fi that I enjoyed reading. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, what do you wish you could do that you currently can't do? Oh, that's a good question. C scale, um, as in like, be able to travel faster than the speed of light. <laughs> uh, what's the advice you would give to your 21-year-old self? Maybe it would have been get out to the valley earlier. Mm. Um, it would have only been a few years earlier. Um, that's tricky. That's a good if one, we, actually. That, that's a good one. Back, 
if we take the clock back, I could have taken a different path. But the um, I think getting getting out to the valley earlier would have been would have just I just would have accelerated the speed of collecting information on on doing companies. But maybe maybe not. Maybe I wouldn't have gone through some of the lessons that I needed to learn. So once again, I don't I don't know what path would have been better. Yeah, that's a that's that's a good answer. And if you had a hundred dollars in your favorite city, what would you spend it on? So are we talking about a startup? No, just just general like. Hundred dollars in your favorite city. You're on holiday. I don't know. What do you What do you spend on? Invest in a startup in a company in you're, that city. In just a hundred dollars. That's all you have. You're not going to eat. You're yeah. not going to do anything. Brand, brand, new, brand new company. Very low stock price. Uh, <laughs> buy a hundred dollars worth of shares in 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 a new startup in that country. Sounds seems legit. Uh, what's the one thing startups should ignore in the early days? Ignore. Oh, that's that's a tricky one. Um, Ignore the naysayers, unless the naysayers have done it before. And even if they've done it before, you may have to ignore them. <laughs> or just convert, convert, their, convert their risk. Try, try and convince them of, of that they're wrong if you think they're wrong. But if you can't convince them, and you can't convince many, many smart people, you can't convince anyone, maybe you've got the wrong thing. But um, you've you got to ignore some naysayers. People will say, oh, it's been done before. Like when Dropbox got onto Hacker News... I think someone said, oh, this has been done before, it won't work. And it was a top comment. And um, we saw a bit of that when we launched. And everyone's always going to say that. Do you know why? Because these people are very short-sighted and they cannot see the future. They cannot envision something that is like has not been created before. So you have to, you know, you have to ignore that a little bit. Um, and you have to listen to the right signals who may be calling something right, like, hey, that model is slightly, that model is wrong. It's not going to work because the margin's too low. They may be right. So you've got to like, figure it out and maybe be like, hey, what about this model? Oh, yeah, you cracked it. Great. Done. Yeah, no, that's, no, that's good. 100%. And um, we alluded to this earlier, but what's your vision for Golden? Like, when it's all said and done, what do you want Golden to be? The most comprehensive knowledge database as open as we can make it and you know keep it sustainable commercially uh, more open than anything else that's out there um with ideally some kind of parts of adaptive learning where um uh, depending on who you are reading it it can it can educate you quickly or quicker on a subject and it learns to what you know um yeah i think at Information and knowledge at scale in a very structured, queryable way, with extreme breadth. Um, that that would be the dream here. That's and, good. and if we get that right, there's other things to come after that. But that in itself is is a tall order. So um, if we get that right, we can do the second blog. We can do the second podcast. <laughs> yeah, for sure, dude. This is awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, if people want to find you, where could they get in touch? If you want to be found. Yeah, so if you're doing a startup and you want investment, you can email me directly. And I won't say the email address. That's your first challenge. Find me. Um, <laughs> it's going to be trivial if you know what you're doing. Um, so the, you know, obviously I'm like super, I'm always maxed out on stuff. Um, I do, if you do have a project or a company, please make a page on golden.com and make it canonical, you know, like a Wikipedia page. Um, don't, don't have like marketing language in there. Take a read on a writing guide if you want as well. That will help you and browse around the different pages to get an understanding. It might not be a company. It might be a project that you're building. 
and um, you know, get it. Let's get it onto Golden. Let's help build this website um, and get you know get the information out there. Especially if you if you think you, your your project would probably not survive notability thresholds in, in Wikipedia, um, or you're a small you know you're a private company, you're a Series A company or seed seed company, Series B company. Um, so I'd love to see that there. And it, it might not be running a company. You might be um, caring about technology. So feel free to help us fill out a specific um, page um, on, on technology. Um, might be tissue engineering or something more specific like CRISPR-Cas12e. Um, so come help us build the information. And, you know, continuing with this idea of getting people onto the platform, how many people visit Golden at the moment, a day or a month? Yeah, so I haven't been given any stats yet. Um, right. Because you know we have competitors in the market as well, right. so I'm not giving that stat out. But we are collecting the rate at which we're collecting information is is rapidly expanding, and we're getting tons of new pages made all the time. Um, and people are constantly also, looking and reading content on the site. Yeah, the, the readership and the and the production of information is going up all the time, which is cool. So we keep hitting new records every week. Nice. And the um, also, if you're a company and you and you want to use the paid you know if you want to use the query tool to query the data in a in a commercial like way if you're an innovation house or um sorry innovation department or you run data analytics at, at your company and you want to use the api to um fill out the crm or discover new entities new companies new innovation come come and get in touch with us as well so because we're working with very large companies to to get access to data and um that that's going well and that that helps you know monetize golden it makes it makes it easier for us to accelerate um getting towards the mission wow yeah no that's awesome all right jude thank you so much so you heard it guys if you are working in a startup and you are looking for investment find jude <laughs> and he'll have a look and also get your page yeah. on golden awesome jude thank you so much for coming on the hey. show yeah it's a pleasure thank you Just want to say another huge thank you to Jude for coming on the show and dropping all that knowledge on us. And you heard it, guys. If you have a startup idea and you're looking for funding, hit Jude up. He's got cash and he's ready to invest. And if you definitely want him to respond, create a page on Golden and then send it to him in the email. That's just what I would do anyway. It's up to you. As always, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. And if you haven't already, please subscribe and leave us a review on the Apple Podcasting app. They honestly do go a long way. Until next time, guys, keep grinding.